we're helping customers connect with their fans. And so being able to really look at it through the kind of the lens of how are we helping them solve their problems versus we're just trying to, you know, sell some inventory, I think um, is really beneficial. And, and quite frankly, kind of for me being able to bring an outside perspective to people maybe that have worked in team sports for a long time. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. David Schwab with you today. On the pod today, we caught up with Charlie Metzger. Charlie is the Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Marketing Officer for the Detroit Pistons and Palace Sports and Entertainment. He's been up in Detroit with the organization for about seven years. Really interesting discussion about the differences working on a brand side or an agency side. He's done both. Started his career at Miller Lite, then went to an ad agency and a sports marketing firm before working for the team and venue side of business. It's thoughtful, talking about pros and cons and helpful for anybody that is thinking about one side or the other. We then spend a fair amount of time on personality traits that are important when you're younger about being inquisitive and asking questions, making sure to take responsibility and listening. He simply says, get in and get going. We also discuss reverse mentoring. I think it's more and more important in today's age as technology leads daily conversation and kids coming out of school and anyone in their 20s and 30s often have more experience and knowledge in social platforms and new technologies than senior executives that have gotten there over tenure and time and the importance to mentor on both sides. I delayed this pot a few weeks to get a few others out. So as you hear it, you'll hear it was taped before Charlie's son graduated Miami. But by the time you hear this, he will have graduated. So congratulations. Hope you enjoy the pod. Take care. This is my seventh season with the Detroit Pistons and Palace Sports Entertainment, although we're now just the Detroit Pistons because we've officially uh, moved back to the city of Detroit and are playing at Little Caesars Arena. Um, and it's gone by incredibly fast, I would say that. Um, you know, coming out of Miami, I uh, spent time at Miller Brewing Company and brand management and ran the Miller Light brand, learned a lot about that at Miami, obviously. And, um, then went flipped over to the agency side at McCann and ran momentum with inside of McCann. Um, and then when, so I came here seven seasons ago and obviously the world of sports and marketing, there's so many different intersections and through my time on the, uh, kind of the, the brand side and the agency side, sports marketing has always been kind of the brands that I had worked on and led. So when I got an opportunity to come here on the team side, um, I really wasn't looking, but it felt like a really interesting opportunity. And um, it's gone by very, very quickly, as I said. Yeah. How much were those past experiences uh, being on both brand and agency side helped in how you think through what you're doing every day? You know, they help a ton because at the end of the day, we're all in the business of trying to help our customers meet their needs. And that's really the, the thing about team sports. You are in the, there's a lot of business to business uh, marketing that goes into it. Um, so obviously there's the B2C side, which is trying to get individuals to, to come to games. And when they get to games, to have an incredible um, experience and to be able to capture data so that you can remarket to them. But there's also a huge component of it is 
you know, you are helping, we are helping customers connect with their fans. And so being able to really look at it through the kind of the lens of how are we helping them solve their problems versus we're just trying to, you know, sell some inventory, I think um, is really beneficial. And, And quite frankly, kind of for me being able to bring an outside perspective to people maybe that have worked in team sports for a long time. Has, do you think that's evolved? Uh, your, your, the line about solving problems was it was it once we need to fill a building um, and sell sell soft drinks and beer, and now we actually have customer we have some solutions that we have to deliver on. Is that is that a change? I do. I think yeah. yeah I think it's changed. Um, it has changed and will continue to change. And I think team sports, obviously, you know, it's it's. Um, when the teams are winning and fans are showing up, it, it's um, everybody seems to be happy. But it, it's a very, very competitive landscape, and you're not only competing for sports fans for somebody to spend money on tickets, but you're also competing. They've got other things that they can do, and the, and also with the advent of technology, they can consume your games, your content, your media in so many different forms, which presents challenges but also opportunities for our partners to be able to reach people. So, yes. I think the the world of sports um, and particularly team sports is changing very, very rapidly and becoming much more data-driven, customer-centric and and problem-solving versus, to your point, you know, just trying to kind of sell the team based upon how they're performing on the field or the court or the ice or what have you. How much do you, in that problem-solving and and thinking through how data and technology has influenced what you're doing – how much are you interacting and learning on a, a peer-to-peer with others from, uh, I guess, peers and teams in the NBA or really maybe just teams that, that play in arenas? Mm-hmm. It's a great question, David. And, and I was, um, I have to tell you, the first NBA meeting I went to, you know, I, I was thinking more along the lines of, okay, there's 29 other teams in this in this meeting and we compete with each other. And very quickly I realized the truth is we don't compete with each other off the court. We certainly compete on the court, but the NBA does a great job of facilitating and sharing best practices. So if golden state's doing something really interesting, they share that if we're doing something um, and we meet two or three times a year with our colleagues at other teams and um, share a lot because as I mentioned before, we're all competing for for customers' share of time, share of wallet, and um, if somebody's doing something really smart in Milwaukee or Chicago or San Francisco or Denver, um, you know, it can probably a- apply to what we're doing here in Detroit. Now, what about those those competitors and partners not in basketball but are in and around Detroit, where you are not competing on the court? But you're you're certainly competing for local dollars and mm-hmm. and just time in, in one's mind and, and content. So the relationships with the other teams and I imagine Detroit's got a sports commission or an, or a, a group internally that's I was trying to bring events into the city too. Yes, we do, and and yeah, there's no doubt when you're on the. In the local market, you are competing with those other sports teams, but I think you really have to be um, a little 
you know, dig a little bit deeper because we have different fan bases. Um, and so you're appealing to different customers. Um, you definitely compete for corporate dollars. Um, and it puts more pressure, I think, on all the teams to make sure that they're delivering ROI for those partners and taking care of their customers and, and, and business needs. So um, I think, quite frankly, it's a good, healthy competition. Um, all the teams, you know, share some of the same challenges. Um, but we also compete. But it's, you know, I think we all, probably all of us that are in this business enjoy the, those levels of competition. So, um, you know, I think it, it always just makes everybody better. Yeah. And is there, a, is there a sports commission in town too? There is, there is a sports commission and, and, and it, you know, it invariably we serve on many of us will be on the same boards or will be part of the sports commission. And I think one of the things in, in Detroit, which is great is that we now have all four sports, major sports teams playing within a little over a mile radius. And so we've been part of the rebirth of the city. Detroit's a great sports market, even though our teams aren't, performing uh, collectively exactly where we want them to be right now. But um, so there's a lot that while we compete, we also there's a there's kind of a shared sense of responsibility that we have as sports teams to be able to give back to the community and to be able to help where we can, you know, creating jobs and, and creating opportunities for people. Having those venues so close to each other so important uh, for a kind of a city framework. What, what else do you point to in a, in the rebirth of Detroit outside of the the venue geography that has led to the growth? Well, I think for those that follow this at all, I mean, the city literally went bankrupt and has come through bankruptcy. And I think when you look back at it, um, it was an incredible story of how quickly it emerged from bankruptcy. And, you know, I think what, what, what is happening beyond um, the ability just financially to become um, a little more solvent is that it forced people to reinvent themselves. Um, Dan Gilbert, who is the owner of the Cavs, um, has got Quicken Loans, and he really, from a um, kind of a vision perspective, has been able to build his company in much more of a tech company. And so we're he and many other companies now are you know we're we're um, attracting younger people that want to be able to move here because the cost of living is less than if you're in obviously New York or Chicago or or San Francisco or L.A. and the opportunities are far greater. So there's a really very interesting entrepreneurial spirit, um, and it's you know, Detroit is still heavily automotive based, but it is a different type of worker and a different type of mind set that um, is really driving a lot of the rebirth in the city. And so those are, there's a lot of young people with a lot of um, interesting things they want to do and try. And in sports, fortunately for us, we're, we're at the heart of what a lot of those people are looking for for their entertainment dollars. And in talking about attracting young people and speaking of young people, you're going to be, in, you're going to be back in Oxford pretty soon, right? I will be back in Oxford for my son's graduation mm. and uh, very proud of him. And it's been great to see, you know, him, but, but uh, also the university and to, to remember all the great times we had on high street and remember all the great times, um, you know, and all the things we learned and all the connections that we made and staying in touch with people, but being able to experience that now, um, with my son graduating, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. How, how has that been, 
in, in talking to him, listening to him, driving him to or picking him up, what a college experience uh, or opportunities are like now versus when we were in school. Well, the balcony's not there, but Mac and Joe's is. <laughs> That's where I would go for. I think I'd go straight to what's uptown. That's probably how and I'd Skipper's answer it. Yep. And Mac and Joe's. And, um, <laughs> no, I think, look, one of the great things about Miami is that it's got great tradition. Um, but I do think when you look at the facilities and you look at the Farmer School of Business and you look at the investment that they're continuing to make, um, you know, I, you, you can't help but reflect back on all the great years you had there, but also it's time to look forward. And I think Miami's doing a good job, a great job, quite frankly, of just um, keeping those traditions, the Miami traditions, but also challenging themselves to get, you know, more competitive and you know we could talk about what they're doing athletically but i think more so what they're doing in the classroom and providing opportunities for the kids so um it's wonderful memories but it's also got to be able to to you know look forward and i think miami's doing a great job there so go back in your memory banks though to when you finished school and uh when you went to go work for miller light if if i recall that was the first Mm -hmm. job out uh, what what were you? I don't want to say prepared for, but what was the biggest learning experience at twenty two or twenty three um, in the real world? Well, look, I always think that um, when you're starting off, you have to be inquisitive, and I think being able to, no matter where you're starting, to be, you know, ask questions and curious, and and to be willing to kind of take on whatever responsibility is thrown at you. And I think, you know, I look back to, to, you know, Miami, I think it prepares you obviously, um, academically, but I do believe there's a social aspect to things and being able to think on your feet and being able to, um, walk in other people's shoes and being able to, to relate to other people's, uh, other people can, is, is usually a, it's a trait that if, um, if you can then hone that, um, and find, you know, ways that you can make it work is, is, is invaluable going forward. So again, I think anytime you can get started, um, in a place where you've got people around you that are smart, that the key is to ask those questions and not be afraid to volunteer, to try something and just take on anything and everything that you can at a young age. And when you do that, you, you find really where you think you're going to be successful. And um, sometimes what that also means is find areas where it just is not the right fit, but, but holding back is, is um, there's just really no reason to hold back. Mm. And, and what did you find between brand and agency for you, what you liked or the differences mm-hmm. between the two? Um, what I like on the brand side is ultimately you are running a business. And so you really, if you're doing it right, and uh, my definition of marketing is building a brand and driving profit and the most efficient means possible. If you're doing it right, not only are you, um, you know, positioning the brand right and pricing it right and distributing it the right way, but you're also looking for areas to cut costs and to take costs out of the business. And I think that's really, it's like building a puzzle. You know, anytime you're running a brand or running a company, there's a lot of different moving parts and pieces and it's putting that puzzle together and the puzzle's never, never done. 
but I think that is I really enjoyed on the the agency side. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit more like a SWAT team, right? You come in and you out, and, and you help people solve problems, and you give them really, hopefully, very good strategic and creative thinking. Um, and it's a lot of fun being on a team, um, and you know, being able to focus on something, and then that's done, and then you move on to the next thing. So, I think there's benefits to both sides. Um, for me personally, I, I um, the notion of being able to measure and have ultimate accountability over driving a business or driving a brand. I think I prefer, but the agency, you know, side is uh, fantastic as well. Yeah. It's interesting doing both. And I've talked to a number of folks uh, on the pod that have done both and, and, but it's typically the other way around. They start in the agency world. They go mm-hmm. then to a client and the brand. And, and what I always heard in those conversations was, as an agency person, I felt I, I I was so frustrated that the brand – I thought I had all the answers for the mm-hmm. brand. And then I mm-hmm. went to the brand and I realized if I was in the marketing space that – you know, those were 20% of the needs of the brand and That's exactly right. didn't have a full picture. So it's interesting where you flip that and you came from mm-hmm. understanding and needing the full picture to moving to McCann or Momentum where you're, you're I don't want to say just, but just doing mm-hmm. the... It's a component, yeah. right? Versus the whole picture. That's exactly right. And now coming back full circle, you know, responsible for for our business here, you're able to, and you asked earlier, you know, draw on both of those experiences, and hopefully it makes you a better leader, a better uh, business person, and and, um, a better partner to all the people that you're working with. Yeah, so stay there on leadership. Um, how, How do you define leadership, or what do you do every day to... Uh, just to instill that trait so that your team is working together and moving forward? I think it really starts with clarity. And sometimes that word may be overused, but um, people have to understand ultimately what the vision is and then what it is that we're all as a team going to be measured upon, whether that's you know, weekly, monthly, quarterly at the end of the year, because it too many times I've seen where people are working really hard and they're collaborating and they're doing all the, the kind of the right things. But ultimately, if you pull them apart and you say, well, what is it that we're going to be measured on as a group? Um, you get different answers. And so being really, really focused on getting everybody upfront understanding as much as they need to about the financials. But, you know, companies are driven to drive profit, right, financially. And then also, what are the key things that are, you know, we're going to measure and, and set up uh, performance standards. And I think starting with that actually it sounds basic, but I've seen far too often when, as I said, people are working really hard and trying to do wonderful things, but it may not all be laddering back up to ultimately what um, kind of the, the, the metrics that they're ga- we are gauging a company that are based on. Mm. And have you had one or two mentors your entire business life or... Uh, more of just different individuals at different time that you pick brains and learn from? 
Yeah, you know, I've been asked that before, and I, I'm always hesitant to, to call out individuals. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough, um, you know, I had some some folks at Miller, I had some folks at McCann. There's there are people here at the Pistons, um, and I think you know, as I said before, if you're willing to walk in someone else's shoes and listen to people. And, you know, even when you're hundred percent sure you have the right answer, sometimes, you know, asking one more question or getting one more point of view, or just, um, really trying to pull out a little bit more. Uh, those are usually what the best mentors do. And, um, you know, I think I've been fortunate enough to, to have some, some great ones along the way. How, how do you learn still? What is, is that podcast? Is that reading? Is that yeah? No, it's a great question. It's a, it is podcast, so you, so you should feel good about that. Right, it's, I like that. Um, it's you know staying in touch with with news outlets and social media. It is it is listening to my kids. It is um, you know we have a an initiative here, an innovation team, and we are carving out um, just time for you know, some of the people that are just starting in our organization to sit down and, and share new ideas and things that they're seeing just to be able to stay sharp and to be able to learn. So a lot of it is, it really is listening. Um, but you do have to force yourself or put yourself in situations where you're being exposed to different people and different ideas. Um, because the, it, things are changing so quickly and, um, you got to make sure that you're, you're in tune with what's going on. Yeah, that that uh, notion of reverse mentoring or learning, I think mm-hmm. there, there's a big shift. It used to be, at least when you and I were coming out of school, the, the people that were senior were the experts. They had 20, mm-hmm. 30 years of experience. And not to say that seniority doesn't uh, add some expertise, because it certainly does, but with with the world of technology and social you know, people that have uh, are twenty five or twenty know it more than somebody that's mm-hmm. forty or fifty. They've just they've grown up living it. Versus uh, our world, almost having to I don't say retrain our brain, but it's something added to what we've already been doing for a very long time. Couldn't agree anymore, and I think it. it I don't see that changing. I mean, I see that quite frankly getting even faster. Um, but I think it also presents opportunities for people that are more experienced because technology, combined with some of their wisdom and their ability to either you know see things that just experience leads them they can now share that with more people and i'm seeing businesses crop up all over that are not just um you know younger people starting out but but even people that quite frankly have retired are being able to so so what's cool about it is it works both ways mm. and for your son and his classmates um uh, what do you want them to accomplish in their, let's say, first 24 months out of school? That's a great question, David. I, I think it is um, putting their head down and just grinding and really working hard. I think the, um, particularly when you're fresh out of school, you know, I think there's a lot of things that you're trying to accomplish personally, right, and, and get on your feet and you know, you're, you're now on your own, but I think that that's also a great time in your life to be able to really, you know, 
dedicate and focus. And I think that um, those that can get off to a quick start in those first couple years, um, it ends up, you know, hopefully setting that up, them up for success. And look, a lot of people take some time and they, you know, maybe they start on something that's not the right job or they decide they want to go back to school or go to law school. And I think that's all great. But I think the, the advice I have is get in and get going because you're not going to know. And if you wait until maybe you're 30 or, you know, then and, and that can happen. There's success, you know, for people all along the way. I'm not saying that, you know, it has to happen right away. But if you have an opportunity out of school, um, I my advice is just get in and get after it. And um, the sooner you do that and, and really start grinding away, I think the, the clarity piece of it starts to come more quickly. And when you show up on campus next week, I was going to say, besides going to see your son first, but you might not. You might go uptown first and then catch him on the cell phone and tell him, I'll meet you later. <laughs> where, where, well, listen, yeah. I'm already trying to get a tea time at Houston Wood, so, <laughs> so I got that baked into it. But uh, definitely we'll make it. We'll make a stop at the Bagel and Deli, at Skipper's, at Mac and Joe's. And, um, you know, it, as I said to you before, it, you know, as much as I love the fact that things have changed there, it's also great to be able to go back and, and uh, feel the way we did when we were there a few years back. What what item are you going to get at Bagel and Deli? Probably the Bialis with... Um, with, uh, I guess, roast beef, cheddar, and, and Swiss. Being inquisitive, asking questions, taking responsibility, listening to others, get in, get going. Really important. Thank you, Charlie, for sharing it. Anyone at the age of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 can take that advice and use it in life. Hope everyone enjoyed the pod. Please share with others. See you at all at Skippers real soon. See ya.